0: Ever wonder what psychologist moms talk about when we get together? Whether we're consulting one another about a challenging case or one of our own kids, or just leaning on each other when parenting feels hard, because trust me, even when we do this for a living, it's still hard. Joining me each week in these special Thursday shows are two of my closest friends, both moms, both psychologists. They're the people I call when I need a sounding board. These are our unfiltered answers to your parenting questions. We're letting you in on the conversations the three of us usually have behind closed doors. This is securely attached beyond the sessions. Hello, everyone. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for joining me. So we're back at Beyond the Sessions on the Securely Attached podcast, and we are going to address a challenge that one mom asked us for support around related to her child's fears and anxieties. So this Emily, here's what she said. She said, hey, Sarah, I'm kind of desperate with my six-year-old right now and was wondering if you have any input. She very suddenly has a fear of monsters and dying. It's causing her some major distress. She's been sleeping in my bed, having trouble getting to sleep wanting both me and my partner and our dogs to sleep with her. And some days will literally not let me out of her sight. She started telling me that she's afraid of dying. She's afraid I'm going to die. And she's afraid a monster will get her. I have no idea what to do. We have talked about how monsters aren't real. We have my dog check for monsters at bedtime. This seems to help, but she's stuck on the whole death thing. Do you have any advice or resources I could look into? Or is this worth trying to find a child therapist for? It's seriously just breaking my heart and I don't know what to do for her. Hmm. I feel this, mom.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's start, I think, by addressing the last part of her question first. Like, when is it perhaps time to get some outside help from a psychologist sure. or a mental health professional? Given this, what she's describing, Emily, what would your advice to this mom and other parents? Like, when they want to, like, what's the threshold for wanting to get some extra help?
1: I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think this this parent has described... You know some like really appropriate things they've tried, right? For Mm -hmm. for what they understand and what they know, and and it's really like it's a really upsetting thing to see your child this upset. You know, so it's like you're you're doing all these things, and you're you're like checking bedtime, you're looking under the bed, you're making, you know, like you're doing all these things to sort of assuage the child's anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think if you feel like you've done your whole bag of tricks, right, and you're still Really distressed, or your child's still really distressed, and you sort of don't know where to go. You're backed into a corner. There's absolutely, its absolutely the time to reach out to somebody. And now that doesn't mean you're signing up for lifelong therapy. You know that could be like mm-hmm. I just want to bounce this off of a psychologist, like maybe a couple of times, like you know a mm-hmm. few sessions or a, or a limited a time, limited assessment. It could be that that you know you want to pursue something more or different. But but I also think like I we I love to dispel that therapy has to be this ongoing thing. You know, I think consulting Mm -hmm. a professional on next steps, or if this is a point of concern is completely appropriate and might just save you some just like unnecessarily, unnecessary heartache really, you know, like for both you and your kiddo and your family system.
0: I think that's such a good point. And I think it's also, you know, Spe- speaking specifically to this mom's question, mm-hmm. in the context of, you know, what are we looking at here? We're looking at you with the observable symptoms, which is you know increased anxiety around monsters and dying. We're looking at you know increased requests from the child for the parents to accommodate the family rhythm in order to. Ease the feeling of anxiety, right? Mom has to sleep in her bed, or you know, everybody and the dogs are gonna be sleeping with her, or she's coming into their room, or she needs to be, you know, things need to be sort of checked. Um, or this idea that like it's repeating, 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 repeating. Like a lot of times I'll a bit of a sort of determining question I'm asking myself or people I'm working with when I'm trying to figure out like, is this thing we're seeing the constant requests for, you know, constant requests for reassurance or constant requests for information? Is that a sign of anxiety or is that information gathering? And typically my sort of framework for answering that question is if you answer the question, like, let's say it's, are you going to die? Or is, you know, when are you going to die? Or will I, you know, will I, what's going to happen to me after you die? Like Because kids do, there's a developmental appropriateness around being curious and even preoccupied by death because it's, once kids recognize what that is, it's something they need to revisit a lot to make sense of. That's pretty typical and not necessarily the sign of an anxiety disorder. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But I also feel like if a child is, constantly asking very the same or very similar questions and you are giving them the same information every time, it starts to stop being about information gathering and it starts to be more about soothing and anxiety in the moment. Like I have this feeling, it makes me want to ask you this question. You give me the answer, same answer you always give me. And that kind of like ooh, releases some of that anxious tension. I can, I get relief. I relax guess what? Some other thought, some other intrusive worry thought comes in. My anxiety pops back up. I seek out your reassurance. You answer my question again. (sighs) I get that relief until the next thought comes up. And then you, what you can find is this, you know, sort of like uh, accommodation loop where the child keeps using the parent's reassurance as an external regulator for their anxiety that's not information gathering, right? That's not just trying to make sense of something. That's starting to move into a space of anxiety. And like it's worth kind of thinking about, is, is my answering the questions? Is my constantly checking under the bed? Is me always having the dog spend the night in her room if that's not, you know, where the dog really is best to be sleeping, whatever. Like, I don't care if the dog sleeps in the kid's room, but like the like how much is it disrupting family life for these things to be happening but also is the child getting some inadvertent messaging from us that like yeah we do need to check under the bed for monsters because that could be something we need to protect you from or i am going to reassure you constantly about me never you know leaving you or me you know all the the fears you have about de- my death um And in some way, I'm also sort of conveying to you, this is something that you should be scared about. Obviously, it's tricky because like, yes, one day, everyone is going to have to deal with that. And it's a possibility, but the probability of it happening anytime soon is relatively low. Like Emily, you talk about possibility and probability all the time when it comes to anxiety. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the other thing that that while you were saying that occurred to me is, is the other piece is like, <laughs> Again super technical it's when you've tried all of your rationalization to your child and at some point you start to get frustrated right as the parent like the fifth time they ask you about the monsters under the the, the bed and they're worried about you you know they're worried that the monster's going to get them you know is is maybe okay but like the 25th you like as a parent like the radar to me of like, when do I need to help with this is if you are starting to hit your, like you lose your empathy almost. Right. Because yeah. you're so, cause the, que- the repeat, like the, how you so nicely explained that and that's really, that's our cue that it's an anxiety loop. Right. And one of those signals to us as parents is like, Oh, I roll. Oh my gosh, I can't say this again. Or frustration mm-hmm. or, something along those lines. And I think the other piece that I, that I did want to touch upon is, you know, this is really hard because this is like, um, death is a death and danger, right? They're big, big, scary concepts, even to adults. So if your child was really, really worried that the bandaid would not leave, you know, would not stay on their skin for, you know, like you could almost blow it off a little, like you might be able to elevate your parenting self to say like, I'm not gonna accommodate this. Like this is crazy. I have to change your band-aid every day, you know. Like mm-hmm. this is, you know, like it might not, but when I think one of these, when your child is afraid of a topic that's like hard for you too, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. hard universally, you know, that it it puts you on a little bit more edge, right? To sort of address the accommodate, like to not accommodate as much. And it and it doesn't jump on your radar as, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, because the topic is sensitive and you want to make sure you're addressing it. So I just want to empathize right. with this parent because obviously in this question, there's like two, there's the monsters and, but there's also the death piece. Right. So, you know, like it's a confusing thing as a parent, like how do I appropriately respond? Cause I want to be, I both want to respond in, in a, you know, I want to respond, right. Like I want to be able to say something reassuring but mm-hmm. when does that go too far as I think the thing that we're talking about and some of those tips that we said, I, I think are the ways way to know, yeah. like, how do I check this out? And right. as, as we talk about a lot on this podcast, there's, there's a lot of treatment for that, you know, <laughs> so we can really, really help with, um, some of the reduction of the parental accommodations. The thing that's, that you were saying, Sarah is the thing that sort of propels that anxiety forward, Um, And so there's a lot of different treatment options to sort of reduce that, which ultimately will increase the resilience of your child and reduce their anxiety.
0: Yeah. And so I think going back to that, that point initially of like, okay, at what point do I actually need to get help for this? You know, one, I think whenever you're feeling like I, I don't, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by this and it's impacting like the mm-hmm. flow of our family life or it's mm-hmm. impacting my, my ability to really be patient and hold empathy for my kid. Like I'm getting burnt out. I'm getting frustrated. It's irritating me. Like what's my motivation for shifting this dynamic? Um, or if you're seeing it really escalate, like if you're seeing a real mm-hmm. shift in your child's worry to the point where it's, maybe it's not getting in the way of family life but it's getting in the way of their play like they're not playing as much or they're not able to be as interested in things or their their mood or their or sleep sleep or you know other sort of activities of daily living is getting you know it's you know we we can't we can't get our teeth brushed because there's mm-hmm. worries about things or like you know it's impact I, they're not eating as much because there's worries about you know how the food is being prepared or whatever. I'm I'm expanding on what I don't think this mom is dealing with those particular worries. But I think those are things that can be sort of common for kids. But if they hit a certain threshold of frequency and intensity, they start to get in the kid's way of like living their life. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are all kind of the, the sort of questions in the back of my mind when I'm When someone's, you know, coming in for therapy around anxiety to be like, when we're trying to diagnose an anxiety disorder, I'm like, Mm -hmm. what is the function? How much is this impairing function? How much is this impacting the relationships in the family? And then how much of this is better explained by just a developmental evolution? Like this is pretty typical to be afraid of monsters or to be afraid Mm -hmm. of death, Um, but does it match up with their developmental timeline? You know, if we have a 12-year-old, a 12-year-old who's so afraid of monsters they can't sleep in their room, like that's really different than a, a six-year-old mm. who's afraid of monsters and can't sleep in their room. The other thing that I think is really important that, you know, this this question, the letter that this woman wrote in doesn't say, but is also something that I, Emily, you probably agree with me, is in the back of my mind when I'm when someone comes. To see me, and the question is: Is this an anxiety disorder or something? Is I want to know the onset of it. Like, is this sudden? What it might have been going on, you know, that might be activating this particular fear. Did someone in the family just die? You know, have they been confronted with a you know information about death that they weren't ready for yet, or that that, that was new, right? Or you know. Did, you know, was there a, a, you know, was there like a scary dog, you know, that, that kind of lunged at them when we were walking? And now all of a sudden we have this like kind of question about monsters under the bed or like, try to think of like, was there something that could have activated this particular fear or maybe directly or maybe kind of indirectly? Because I do think the context and the antecedents of, sort of a new fear or preoccupation can also be something that helps put it into context and also can help us try to help the child make sense of whatever that fear might be or the root cause of, you know, why it got introduced now. Like why now?
1: Yeah. I think that also helps you just to know, right. Is this just to loop it back? Is this something that's discreet or is this something, you know, persistent that I want to have looked at a little bit more closely?
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. You kind of brought this up, Emily, when you were saying there's lots of treatments that deal with this, but like, you know, just to give this parent some strategies, some very straightforward strategies, like the st- the treatment that's coming to mind is like, is, is space supportive parenting for anxious childhood emotions. That's a, a therapy that comes out of the Yale Child Study Center by Ellie Leibowitz, who is on this podcast. We actually have a space podcast with Ellie um, I will link it in the show notes because I, in the show description, because it's a really, if you're, if you are dealing with a, a situation like this mom, I think space is one of the best ways hundred percent to understand how to respond in a different way that is both very, very emotionally supportive and validating of the child's fear and experience and not dismissing of it, but also not getting into that accommodation loop mm-hmm. because that's the parts. Like we can be very, very validating, but if we aren't also kind of saying, oh, it's so scary to be, um, to be thinking about, you know, monsters under your bed. I get that. That can make you feel a little worried. I know that there are no monsters under your bed. And I also know that it's okay to feel scared versus constantly having this rhythm, this routine where I check all the crevices for monsters, right? Like it really teaches about supportive support ways to support anxiety while not necessarily accommodating the worry. Um, so that's just a resource. I think go to that episode if you're interested, but I think that that's a really good, um, you know, collection of resources for responding to this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Because this, you know, this mom is asking like, do you have advice or resources I could look into Ellie's book? Um, Breaking Free of Child Anxiety and OCD is a fantastic resource for kids who have worries. Um, Whether they're, you know, just a little bit worried about stuff or they're legit dealing with an anxiety disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder, that book is like a very, very good resource. And one other thing that I feel like is worth noting is like a lot of times when our kids are, you know, worried about something that like Emily, like you said, makes us also uncomfortable, like our death, (laughs) we can sometimes avoid wanting to, talk about this stuff when our kids aren't feeling anxious and they're not asking us questions because we're like, we don't want to poke the bear. Like it's hard to have these talks and I want to make them more anxious by bringing it up when they're not already asking me about it. But actually having conversations that we're initiating outside of their anxious moment when they're saying like, check out of the bed or like, tell me you're going to be okay is to sort of in those more sort of resilient moments that they're having where they're, you know, they're not worried about that. It's not impacting them as much to then kind of say like, "Hmm, you know, we've been thinking about this a lot. It's been coming up a lot. Like I'm initiating this conversation with you to kind of give you some information because I think that's also a way for us to give our child reassurance and information to help them manage their anxiety that doesn't serve that function of of being in the accommodation loop because it's not immediately turning off their anxiety in the moment because they're not coming to us with that request. We're using a different time to give them that info so they can input it at a time when they're not actually anxious and that can be more useful. But also in those, in those calm non-anxious moments is also a time to talk to them about anxiety um, and help them learn a little bit about, you know, how anxious, anxious feelings work and how they can make us, you know, kind of want to go revisit and revisit and revisit. Um, and when you want me to sort of take your anxiety away, what I'm kind of showing you is you can't feel anxious. It's not safe. And so helping them. Another really good resource actually is this series of workbooks from Don Hubner, who is, um, who is a Therapist who wrote these—they're really great books. We use them in our practice a lot. But she has one called "What to Do When You Worry Too Much: A Kid's Guide to Overcoming Anxiety." What to Do When Your Brain Gets Stuck: A Kid's Guide to Overcoming OCD. I love both of those for kids who have worries because it can really help um, give them some information about how what is actually what's what's structurally happening for them. Like, and and again, you could do this in these calmer, more connected moments when they're not actively seeking out reassurance or making you, you know, check under the bed. But that's another time to like give them info on the anxiety so they can understand what's happening. And then when they are asking for the reassurance, when they are being like, rescue me from my anxiety in this moment, then instead of answering the content of the worry request, like check under the bed and then being like, we're not gonna check under the bed or we're gonna check under the bed. There are no monsters to say, oh, I think you're feeling worried right now. Or I think you're feeling scared. That's a hard feeling. And that is a safe feeling. And now we're talking about the feeling and we have the shorthand that comes from talking about that stuff outside of the moment. I feel like those are good places to start.
1: Totally agree. Great being here, as usual.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. As you can hear, parenting is not one size fits all. It's nuanced, and it's complicated. So I really hope that this series where we're answering your questions really helps you to cut through some of the noise and find out what works best for you and your unique child. If you have a burning parenting question, something you're struggling to navigate, or a topic you really want us to shed light on or share research about, we want to know. Go to drsarahbrenn.com forward slash question send in anything that you want Rebecca, Emily, and me to answer in this new series, Securely Attached Beyond the Sessions. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash question. And check back for a brand new Securely Attached next Tuesday. And until then, don't be a stranger.